Lord Jesus, we're thankful this morning to be together and to be together with you. And we pray this morning, uh, as always, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, especially, to receive your truth this morning. And we pray that that truth would change us, uh, that we would actually leave here different people than when we came in because of having been with you and learning from you. So uh, change us, Lord, from the inside out, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, psalm uh, that was just read for us begins with this command to give thanks to the Lord uh, because he is good, uh, which seems like a really fitting psalm for us on a Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I mentioned last week that in ancient Hebrew, uh, there, there was no word for thanks or thanksgiving. Uh, contemporary Hebrew language uh, does have a word for that. If you want to say thank you to a Hebrew-speaking person today, like uh, maybe our missionaries, the Trubecks or the Sarids, uh, you, would, you would simply say todah, todah. Uh, and if you wanted to say something like thank you very much, you would say todah rabah. Okay, so you learned a little Hebrew uh, this morning. Uh, you, you can try that out on them next time, next time you see them. Uh, but the thing is that that word didn't exist when David wrote uh, Psalm 107. Uh, the word he used was yada. Yada, uh, and it's it's used throughout the Hebrew Bible. Um, of course, it's you, you might guess used more in the Psalms than than anywhere else. And our English translators have rendered it almost always either give thanks or praise. Uh, so it, that doesn't mean that every time you see the word praise in your Bible, it it's going to be yada, but. Uh, often that's going to be the word underneath that. And uh, to give thanks or to give praise to God uh, is, is not a bad way to translate the word yada, but it seems to me that it's actually not very helpful in our present day culture. Because in our culture, uh, we often think, at least I do, think of the word praise as um, uh, telling someone they did a really good job at something, right? You, you, you're sort of praising them for something they did. Good job. It's, a, it's an attaboy or an attagirl, right? Uh, or in church, sometimes we think of praise as sort of happy songs that we sing. That's praise music, right? Um, when we think of giving thanks, uh, we, we, we often think of telling a person thank you for something they have done. I, I really appreciate what you, you did. Am I alone in that or do others of you think of, of those words in those terms? You're still in that turkey coma, I think. <laughs> Come on, folks. Well, that's how I think of, of those words, but uh, that's not the ancient Hebrew concept of giving thanks or giving praise. Um, Hebrew professor Ron Allen writes that in ancient Hebrew culture, the meaning of the word yada would be closer to saying something like, I will tell your name. 
It's interesting, huh? I will tell your name. Uh, I've, I've used this example before, but it, it's a good one, so I'll, I'll use it again. So, for example, if um, Mike DeRoya finds out that uh, I have a leaky roof, uh, he, let's say he drives by, uh, he sees that my, my roof is just in shambles, and, and without even asking me, he rallies a, a team of guys to come over and, and strip off the old roof. Oh, this, the, the, the sheeting underneath it is rotten. They tear that off. They put new sheeting, new tar paper, new shingles, brand new roof. And I didn't have to pay a dime for it. Those guys just came together and, and, and put up the funds to do it. Well, you can imagine, I'm, I'm overwhelmed right? With gratitude. I can't, I can't believe that Mike and his friends would do that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find every way I can to say, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I'll probably write cards to all of the guys that helped out. I'll find lots of different ways to say thank you. But if I'm in an ancient Hebrew culture, I don't have that word. And so what what I would do in that culture is say, I will tell your name. And then I would go around town and I would say, do you you know Mike? Have have you met this guy? He's incredible. Let Let me tell you the story of what he did for me. And then I would tell the whole story of the leaky roof and him pulling together a team of guys and putting a new roof on my house. Do you know him? Oh, man. You really should know this guy. He is something else. That is the word yada. I will tell your name. And as it turns out, this expression is actually used in some cultures and languages uh, around the world even today. In that same book, Ron Allen talks about a medical missionary in India who experienced this. Uh, he, he worked in a remote area uh, of India where progressive blindness was endemic. Um, uh, children were born with, with this disease um, and it just it progressed and progressed and by young adulthood, they were blind. And this medical missionary had um, figured out a treatment for this that would stop the progression of it. Wherever the treatment happened, uh, it wouldn't progress any further. And he, and he says that as, as parents would leave his clinic, having gotten the treatment and, and knowing that their children would not go progressively blind in their young adulthood, these people shook his hand and they said, I will tell your name. And then they would go around to the community. Have you met Dr. So-and-so? He's amazing, right? That's what the Hebrew word yada means. It occurs five times in Psalm 107. Uh, sometimes, as I said, translated in English as give thanks. Sometimes translated as praise. But always, always, always carrying with it this meaning of telling others about the good things that God has done. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we see a similar thing happening. There's a really good example of this in Acts 
chapter 3. So we're going to turn there now. Uh, That's on page 876 of the Bibles that the ushers handed out. Acts chapter 3, and we're going to look at this uh, really great story uh, together. Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, we read that Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. So um, people with, with any kind of physical deformities weren't allowed to enter the temple. Uh, and, and so this man's family, or perhaps some of his friends, uh, carried him there to this gate uh, every day uh, so that he could beg. And, and the prayer service at, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon would have been uh, probably the, the highest traffic uh, event of the day at the, at the temple. It's a big crowd squeezing through a relatively narrow space, this gate called beautiful. Uh, might be like um, those who, who beg at a freeway on-ramp or off-ramp at rush hour, right? They have to get there early to get their spot, to get the best spot. And, and this man's friends or family have probably gotten him there really early in the day to get this most productive spot by the gate. Uh, We learn later in the story that the man was over 40 years old. So we can maybe guess that he's been coming here for 20 or maybe 30 years to beg. And then in verse 3, we read, When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. So when this man asked for help, he he probably said the same thing that he said to everyone who walked past. The same thing that he said every hour of every day. He probably yelled out, alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. Have mercy on me. Take pity on me. And verse 4 says that Peter and John looked at him intently. It seems that Peter uh, wants to see his face. He's he's looking for something. He wants to look in his eyes. And so he says, hey, look at me. You, look at me. Right? We're not told what Peter was looking for. It seems that there was something important about that face-to-face contact. And it seems that that Peter saw maybe what he was looking for. Because in verse 6, Luke tells us that Peter said to the man, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk. And he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. This man who had been sitting here for decades is instantly healed. Some of you know that the book of Acts was written by Luke. Uh, Colossians 4 tells us that Luke is a physician. 
He's a doctor, medical doctor. And, and there's some indications of, of that in, in how he writes. For, for example, the word uh, Luke uses for feet in verse 7 is a very specific technical term for the bones in your feet. Uh, the same is true for the word ankle. It's a, it's a technical medical term. They don't, those words don't appear anywhere else in the Bible. The word leaping is also a medical term for dislocated joints coming back into their socket and, and being able to move again. So it's a, it's a miraculous healing and it happens instantly and it's, it's a wonderful story. But what I want us to notice this morning is the man's response to the healing. Yes, he was walking, maybe sort of testing his strength in his feet and ankles, finding his balance. He was born this way. He's, he's never been able to walk. Can you imagine that as an adult, a 40-year-old adult walking for the very first time? Uh, He was also leaping, maybe jumping for joy as he realized the degree of this healing. He wasn't just better, he was all better. I mean, he was whole, right? This morning I want us to notice the third thing that Luke tells us he was doing. He was praising God. And the Greek word that Luke uses is aineo. It carries with it the same meaning as the Hebrew word yada. It's a, it's a public, verbal declaration of what God has done, who he is and what he's done. So we, we read on, verse 9, and the people All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, greatly amazed, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colony. Uh, Already said, this is a high-traffic area of the temple, Um, people are going into the prayer service, coming out, right, coming and going. Uh, But now this crowd has stopped uh, to see this man that that they saw every day at at the gate. They knew he was lame, but but now he's dancing around. He's praising God. They're amazed. They've passed this crippled man for years as they enter the temple complex. And now he's walking and leaping and praising God. Well, Peter realizes he's got sort of a captive audience here. And in verses 12 through 26, he preaches a sermon. We're not going to go through that whole thing, but but let me just summarize it uh, for you. He tells them about how... Um, it was through faith in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. It wasn't Peter and John who did it. It was his faith in the name of Jesus that healed him. Uh, He tells the crowd about how Jesus is the promised Messiah, how Jesus died for them. It gets a little awkward because he puts blame on them for killing Jesus. He tells them how Jesus was raised to life. For them, And how one day he will return for those who repent 
and put their trust in him. And when we turn the page into chapter 4, we learn that over 5,000 people believed the message about Jesus. 5,000 men, it said. There were women there too. So maybe as many as 10 or 15,000 because he's just counting the men here. And this all happened because the lame man was doing what? Praising God, giving thanks, telling the name of the one who had healed him. Yeah, it was, it was Peter who preached the sermon, but it was this man's willingness to talk about what God had done in healing him that made the people listen, right? Imagine if he had just quietly walked away. Peter's sermon probably never would have happened. That's not what he did. He gave thanks. He praised God for his goodness. And others believed in God as a result of it. Okay, so we've talked about Psalm 107. Uh, we've, we've looked at a story in Acts 3. I want to look at one more passage in the New Testament where we see this idea of giving thanks or praising God for what he has done for us. Um, so I'm going to ask you to turn again, this time to 1 Peter chapter 2. And that's on page 979 of those Bibles the ushers handed out. Uh, Peter is writing here uh, to Gentiles, non-Jews. And he uses language that, that prior to Jesus had only ever been used to refer to Jewish people. God's chosen people, Right? But Peter, who is himself a Jew, now uses chosen people language to refer to those who have been brought in to that group known as, as God's people. And so he says in verse 9, but you, again, Gentiles, believers, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think it's hard maybe for us to grasp how unbelievably remarkable these words would have sounded to these first century Jewish believers. And knowing what we know about Peter's reluctance, that would be a, a, a soft way of saying it, to accept Gentiles into their faith. Peter may have even been amazed that the Holy Spirit was, was directing him to write this. Are you sure? These Gentiles are a chosen people, a holy nation? Okay, and he writes it down. Peter wants these Gentile believers to know how amazing it is that they belong to God. They were nobodies. They knew nothing about the mercy of God. But now God has redeemed them. He's saved them. He's, he's made them a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And Peter doesn't want them to just sort of bask in that and say, oh, that's wonderful. 
He wants them to understand that there's a responsibility that comes with that. There's a responsibility they have now as God's chosen people because he says that they are to proclaim the praises of the one who has called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In fact, the the way the, the language is, he says, so that you may do this. He's done this in your life so that you can declare the praises of him. Peter wants them to give thanks, to praise, to tell the name of the one who has redeemed them. So what I see in 1 Peter 2.9 are echoes of Psalm 107. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Have you been saved? Say so. Where am I going with all this this morning? I want to backtrack a little bit. The first week of this series, we saw that gratitude produces generosity in us. In the second week, we saw that gratitude produces this deep, abiding joy. Last week, we looked at that connection between worship, repentance, and gratitude. And in these passages that we're looking at today, um, I hope it's clear that the connection between gratitude and praise or giving thanks. Except I want us to see something that maybe we haven't normally seen in the word praise. Now, up to this point, I have avoided using the E word in my sermon this morning. But it's really what this message is all about. Some of you are looking at me like, the E word? What's that? That's that word that terrifies most Christians, right? I can't do that, they say. I don't know enough Bible verses to do that. Or I'm I'm too shy to do that. What's the E word? Evangelism. And in some, in some ways, we've turned it into something that it was never intended to be because evangelism is what Psalm 107 was about. It's what Acts 3 was about when the man was leaping and walking and praising God. It's what 1 Peter 2.9 is about when it talks about declaring the praises of, of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's simply telling others the good news of what God has done for you. Each and every one of you. I believe this. I believe God has uniquely, different ways for for every one of you, but uniquely qualified each and every one of you to do this. Because God has done something miraculous in each and every one of your lives. In every single one of us, God has done something miraculous. And the proper response isn't just to say, thank you at night when you lay your head down or when you gather around the Thanksgiving table. 
The proper response is to yada, to tell his name to others around you. And a lot of you do this, and, and you don't think of it really maybe as, as evangelism. Uh, I, I think of a woman at our church who invites people here because she's just so grateful for what God has done in her life. And so she invites co-workers here and they come with her and they hear about Jesus and their lives are changed. Think of a, of a man in our church who is, his theme is the love of God. He just, he loves telling people about how much God loves them. In some ways, he's kind of like a broken record. And I love it. Because we go, yeah, 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 God loves me. I learned that as a little kid. Jesus loves me, yes, I know. No. I mean, he really, really loves you. You have no idea how, how high and deep and wide is God's love for you. And this guy loves telling people about it. We have people here, I think of a couple of women here who, who talk about how good God is even in the really hard stuff of life. Uh, we have a, a man who, who talks to people about Jesus as he fishes on the banks of the river, right? Another guy who just kept talking about who God is and what he had done in his life as he was in the hospital and in rehab and, and some of his caregivers gave their lives to Jesus because of him telling his name. And it's not just grown-ups. We have a, a kid in our children's ministry who, who really loves Jesus and he's just become fascinated with the Bible. He loves reading the Bible. He can't get enough of it. Reads it all the time. And he's bringing his friends because he's so excited about what God has done, about who Jesus is, that he wants his friends to know this. And some of these people get the opportunity of leading others into relationship with Jesus. But a lot of them are like Andrew and Peter, excuse me, Andrew and Philip in the Bible, who just said, well, come and see. Or the woman, the Samaritan woman. Come and see a man who knows everything about me. Come and see for yourself. Or maybe they're like the the paralyzed man who uh, praised God and let Peter do the preaching. He didn't have to preach. He just needed to tell people what God had done in his life. Now I want us to look uh, again at the psalm that was read at the beginning. And, I, and I, I want to see if you can find yourself in this psalm. So after opening with a command to give thanks to the Lord, David says that some of those that God has redeemed were lost, wandering in the wilderness. You know, spiritually speaking, that's all of us, right? We're all lost. And he rescued us. So what does David say? Let them yada, the Lord, tell his name for the wonderful things he has done. If you were lost and now you are part of God's chosen people, 
tell somebody. As the psalm says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Huh? When's the last time you told somebody that? When's the last time you you told somebody what God has done in satisfying that deep spiritual hunger and thirst that you once had? In verse 10, David says that some of those God has redeemed were caught in darkness, in deep gloom. I, I take that to mean emotional darkness, despair maybe even. And he tells them to yada the Lord, tell his name for the wonderful things he has done. Any of you recently told someone else how God broke those chains of of gloom and filled you with joy? That's a pretty safe message to tell somebody. I used to be in despair and now I have joy. It's because of Jesus. In verse 17, David says that some of those God has redeemed were rebellious fools who were headed for death because of their sin. And to those people, he says, Yada, the Lord, tell his name for the wonderful things he has done. Some of you know this story. You know it really well. Because God has rescued you from death's door. Have you told anyone that? Have you told people how he rescued you from the door of death? Verse 23, David says that some of those God has redeemed were caught in the storms of life. He describes those people as cringing in terror, crying out to God for help. And David tells that person as well to yada the Lord, tell his name for the wonderful things he has done. Because God stilled the storm and and brought them safely into harbor. I wonder, has God saved any of you from some storm of life? Do you just say thank you to him for that? Or have you told somebody about that? See, I think every single one of us have have reasons to yada the Lord. We, we all have reasons to go walking and leaping and praising God. All of us who, who call ourselves Christians have been called to proclaim the praises of the one who has called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. We all, all of us have reasons to say, I will tell your name and then do it. Some of you know that that God is referred to in the Bible by a lot of different names. Uh, There are times that he's called Elohim, the Supreme One. Times that he's called Adonai, meaning Master. Or Sabaoth, the the Lord of hosts, the ruler of heaven's armies. Or El Elyon, the Most High God. Or El Shaddai, Almighty God. There's times he's called Rapha, healer, Jireh, provider. Uh, there's, there's, there's many, many more. And years ago, I was uh, sort of reflecting on these various names of God and how God had revealed himself in Scripture through these names. How, how these names reflect God's character. They, they tell us who 
He is. They tell us that, that these are ways that He wants to be known by us. And I, uh, after reflecting on that, I, I arranged these names into a song. And the refrain of that song says, We will declare your name. I will tell your name. It's an expression of the word, this wonderful word, yada, that we've been looking at this morning. So I'm going to make my way to the piano here. And, and as we sing this song, I'll invite the worship team to come up.